Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by the Relaxed Dog. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog or dogs are well. I'm super happy to say that our little group of listeners are growing. So thank you to the listener in Paris, France, and also to Dublin, Ireland. One listener each. Go and tell a friend. (laughs) Okay. Um, This week, apart from a little bit of doggy news... Our guest will be Nigel Wallace from the New South Wales Siberian Express Running Club. But first, another heartbreaking Harchi story. And surprisingly, again in Wuhan in China. Um, Unfortunately, a person went with their dog to a bridge late at night and jumped off. The dog was seen around the bridge by repair workers for a few days they tried to give it some food and water Uh, someone did do a rescue attempt on the dog and unfortunately ran away so that's that's yet another example of of just the loyalty that that these creatures have for us Um, let's hope that they uh, that doggy gets found and looked after and just a note that if you know someone who is feeling uh, a little down, let them know that you're there. I mean, isn't that what friends are for? In more positive news, a five-year-old Welsh terrier by the name of Philo from Friendship, Arkansas, uh, was recently picked up in a place called Dixon, which is 600 miles away from his home. And whilst he has been reunited with his family, they have no idea how he got that far away. And now, this week's interview with Nigel. Welcome everyone to Relax Dog, and today I'm speaking with my friend and mentor, Nigel and we're going to talk about Tonra. Tonra, slightly unusual name to start with. It's um, yeah, it's we've owned Malamutes for about twenty years now, um, and we've always had sort of normal names. And Karen, my wife, wanted something very, very different, so she spent a, a long time researching. And when we actually picked him up, or when we actually went and viewed him uh, with the breeder, uh, Penny Selden. He had a, he was like grey, but he had this black stripe uh, down his back and it's his adult colour coming through. She goes, oh, that's, that, you know, that's his devil streak. <laughs> so she went and, went and researched that and um, Tondra is actually Inuit for, for devil or spirit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's sort of how his name comes about. Oh, cool. No, I really like it when people put that little bit of extra sort of effort behind the name. Very unique. Very nice. Yeah, most of ours have got unique names. I think there's uh, for various various different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we try not to 
try not to name them along the normal sort of social um, lines that you know, especially when it comes to melamids or Arctic breeds. You know, I cringe when I hear things like Nanook or, or Snowy or, you know, those sorts of things. I'm like, oh, can't something more original. But, um, but, you know, people can name their dogs whatever they like. We just like to be a bit more a bit more different. You know, we've got Sauvignon. Uh, it's actually uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. So she's named after a bottle of wine that we're drinking when we picked mm-hmm. her up. Um, oh, after we picked her up. Oh, why we picked her up. <laughs> um, Triad. Uh, actually, she's a, a rescue. She came in with the, with the name Triad. Uh, her sister is Yakuza who also floats around the sled scene from time to time. Um, Zane was named by Zachary, just wanted something very different. So he called him Zane because he thought he was a bit zany uh, when he came in from rescue. Um, who else we got? Cheezel. Uh, that was definitely, definitely going right out there. It's like named after a packet of chips. Um, when we, when we first met up, we thought she was a bit loopy. Mm-hmm. So uh, she's named mm-hmm. after Cheezels. And then, um, I've got BB, BB Chaser. So BB was actually named after BB8. He's a red, so he's a red husky. Uh, and he was named after BB8 from from uh, Star Wars. That was uh, by Ben, Ben's dog. So he was a big Star Wars fan. And then finally, we've got um, Chia, sorry, uh, Rain and Cinder. So Rain and Cinder are the new two new puppies that came in at the end of last year. Obviously, big major bushfires through New South Wales at the time. So Cinder got his name. Uh, from the bushfires and we're also in a drought and the one thing we wanted more than anything was rain so they got the name cinder and rain mm-hmm. and for those people sort of aren't familiar with yourself nigel is also part of the siberian express running club so we had pete on a little while back pete is crazy about siberians my, my wife is crazy about Siberian Huskies. Uh, she's got four Siberians, uh, but I am definitely very much yeah. rooted in the Melamute camp <laughs> uh, with, with my Alaskan Melamutes. So yeah, we, got, um, we have four Siberians and, and four Alaskan Melamutes splitting the, splitting the family, which is almost in line with everything else in this family, actually. Um, I'm Queensland bred. My wife is New South Wales bred. So we got Maroons versus New South Wales and state of origin. So it's um, almost the, the dog version of that, Siberians versus Melamutes. So we always seem to be in competition with each other. I'm pretty well every makes for a fun household <laughs> makes for an interesting household <laughs> <laughs> so um did you have the pick of the litter um with tonra no so tonra came about through a series of events so as i said we, we've had melamates for a lot of years um and we lost aspen and Kane 11 months apart uh through cancer with both of them unfortunately and both of them were obviously very very sudden sudden losses so we found ourselves without a melamine or without a dog period so we approached amra at the time so alaska melamine rehome and we fostered two melamines for them for a short period of time and then um, they moved on and we're without melamines without melamines again and we, we couldn't we couldn't just couldn't deal with with not having melamines so we contacted our breeder uh, said Penny and uh, we said listen if you got a litter coming up you know we're down as you know we've lost both Aspen Aspen was one of Penny's dogs uh, and we've also lost Kane so she goes well actually uh, I've got a litter here at the moment and I've got one dog left and uh, she goes somebody else has viewed it but if you guys want it given everything he's went through with with Aspen and all those sorts of things uh, she goes well, you know, I'd, I'd love for, for it to go to you back to you know love for the dog to get these guys, and yeah, no mm. uh, So we went up and viewed him, 
there were two there were two there we could select between so there was uh, number five and number three uh, if, you, if you know anything about breeders they'll, they'll number mm-hmm. their dogs um, based on how they're born uh, as opposed to naming them initially and uh, Benjamin our, our youngest loved number five absolutely adored number five is this quiet little puppy that just stayed to itself and was really sooky and stuff like that and been one number five uh, but I like dogs to be a bit a bit more lively and there was Tonra and he was the second biggest puppy there he was a ball of mess he was just over everything and running over everything and jumping on things and stuff like that and I said to Karen I said that's the dog we need back in we, we need the joy back we need a dog that's going to really light up the mm-hmm. house so um, so we took Tonra number five which is actually Robbie uh, Robbie's with a, a family down in South Australia uh, which we're in contact with Anita uh, so we, we keep we keep up in touch and, and keep up with Robbie but um, so yeah that's, that's sort of how Tonra came into the house uh, and he's still the big loud mouth um, mm-hmm. ball of ball of energy uh, he's now six years old uh, pretty well anyone uh, if we hit the forest uh, people know when we arrive because we'll stake Tonra out and he'll he'll announce the, the arrival of the family to, to the whole entire forest for the next 20 minutes after that. So, uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a, a fun dog. He's, 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 uh, he's, he's something a little bit different, something a little bit special uh, and certainly keeps us, keeps us on our toes. And any initial dramas like coming into the household? Well, we came in as an only dog. So no, not really. Um, you know, we create train our dogs. Uh, so they're put in crates very, very early in life. Um, and, and we do that for, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, it, they learn very, very quickly that it's their bedroom. It's their safe mm-hmm. space. Yep. Uh, we, we never heard of crate training um, with our other dogs and even our other t- previous melamutes uh, until we moved over to Canada. So we, we spent 12 months in Canada working over there and got to know a lot of people over there through different uh, event areas and, and stuff like that. And that's where we came across the, the real, I suppose, circle of around crate training. And uh, I suppose we, you know, we're talking 15 years ago now. Um, so we sort of got into it there and started to learn the, what it was all about when we're, when we're living over in Canada. And we realised the, the, not importance of it, but the benefits of it. And we see it now, you know, so he came in as a one dog. Um, we now have eight. And they're all different energy levels. They're different ages. Uh, they're different personalities. But any time one of them want to time out, we've got three crates that, that sit out the back on the deck. And if any of them ever want to time out, they just walk into a crate. Mm-hmm. And immediately every other dog knows they're, they're out. You know, they don't want to play anymore. Because they all know that those crates is their time out time area. Out. Okay. Little, little, yeah, the little safe haven area, and, and they feel secure in that environment. So they, they're never closed. We, I don't, the only time we ever shut the doors on them is if there's been an issue with, with one of the dogs or one, someone's injured. And uh, that's the other advantage to them. If you've got an injured dog and they are crate trained, uh, you can put them in those crates and keep them quiet and keep them safe and, and look after the injury. Yep. Yeah, I think it's, and it's interesting too that you said that with between the eight of them that you have three crates there because I know a lot of people normally would have one per dog and the dog knows that that's my zone but you've done it so that they sort of like share the the safe zones yeah we do have it we have enough crates uh to do one per dog if we really really need to so if we know we've got a really really bad weather event coming in um well before we build all the individual 
weatherproof yards. If we had a weather event coming in here in the central tablelands where we were you know, down to minus sixes, minus sevens with sleet and snow and that sort of stuff, uh, they did have individual crates fully, fully covered and those sorts of things. But now they've got all their own individual yards um, down, in, down in the, the back there. Um, most of them, I think, larger than most Sydney backyards. But anyway, um, they, yeah, they'll come and go from those yards. But the crates, there, if, if they just want to duck in or if they're being harassed, um, yeah, especially with the pups, uh, the, when the twins came in, we got Cheezel, who's the older, she's 14 months old. So she harassed the puppies coming in uh, fairly, fairly horrifically, playfully, but just nonstop, relentless. Okay. So the, the pups would just duck into a crate and she'd know straight away, okay, you, you want to hop out for a little while. So, but it works well. And uh, they mostly outside, you have them inside the home as well? They rotate through. So you can imagine four Alaska Malamutes and four Siberian Huskies all in the lounge room at once would probably be a little bit hectic. Who does the rostering? So we, we tend to rate. <laughs> we do. We roster them through. So, um, yeah, we've got eight, eight fully secured yards. Uh, so we'll let, you know, three or four out at a time. Mm -hmm. That keeps the, the pack size a little bit smaller. Uh, so you don't end up with as many um, kennel politic, uh, politic issues. Because uh, yeah, dogs dogs have their own personalities, and when you've got eight dogs with eight different personalities, you, you do end up with politics. Yeah. Where does where does Tondra sit there? Tondra is the top. He's he's the big boy of the pack. Mm -hmm. um, so he he pretty well generally rules the roost, and they all know it. And he, he's very very good at it. He uses his voice a lot. Um, I've never seen him even mouth a dog or or take you know try to take a piece of a dog. He has had a fight. Uh, with um, with one of the huskies, the big male husky Zane, which is Zach's dog. Those two don't see eye to eye. They're both dominant males. Tonra is about twice the size of Zane, mm -hmm. so Zane doesn't hold much hope against him. Uh, so for Zane's own safety, uh, we typically don't want, we will never have those two out in the yard at the same time. Uh, but it was unfortunate. You, you talk about learning experiences. The reason they fought was my fault. And it's something I'll always regret doing. It's certainly a thing I learned from. So when Zane came in, so we're, as you said before, we are a sledding family. We, we sled our dogs. Uh, Zane was new. Uh, we took him to a, a new forest. Uh, I've necklined him to Tonra so he can go out and run with us and, and learn. And Tonra is very excitable. You put his harness on, he knows what he's there to do. And until he's released, he will not stop screaming and he won't stop lunging and he, he, yeah, he, he goes a bit nuts. And unfortunately, I necklined him with Zane and Zane was scared. He was terrified. He had no idea what was going on. Um, and by the time I'd seen it, read the body language on Zane, it was already too late. Um, Zane's snapped at Tonra uh, from lunging and Tonra won't take kindly to being snapped at, being a, a big dominant Malamute male. And he's literally just turned around, just throwing Zane onto his back and just pinned him by his neck. Yeah, that's as far as Zane uh, Tonner went. He, he just pinned him and said, that's not going to work, buddy. You know, that's not the way you, you treat me. And it was good. I, you know, I released him easily. Uh, Tonner didn't, didn't hold any grudges about it. Uh, we walked him for about 3K after that, side by side, bumping into each other, all that sort of stuff. Uh, there seemed to be no, no further lingering issues. Uh, but the, the very next time they were in the backyard, and had the ability to to get to each other. Um, Zane's gone to go Tonner again, and it ended up the same way. So we we, we swore from then on that, that those two would never be in the line in the yard again. 
So Tonner is, you know, he's a dominant male. Uh, he rules the roost, but he does it very, very well in a way that he won't, um, he won't affect the other dogs or he won't harm the other dogs. He, he sort of just goes, this is me. And if I don't like you, I'll tell you so, but I'll never do anything about it. It's only the fact that Zane, and said it was my fault that, that that one day in the forest I did something foolish. I, I, you know, it was a mistake that I made. And unfortunately, the other dogs have, have paid the price for that one. And it's certainly a mistake I didn't make again. But yeah, you know, it's it's growing. Yeah, you know, the most we'd ever owned uh, was three dogs, um, and now yeah you know, we're up to eight, and we have rescues. And I think it's the other thing you need to keep in mind too is rescues come in with their own issues that you don't know mm. about, and yeah. it's working on those issues are. And unfortunately. Um, yeah, everything sort of culminated that day, and uh, we didn't know enough about Zane to put him in that situation. And, uh, and now, unfortunately, yeah, that the, the situation occurred. But live and learn, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's something you know, when people come into the club and they've got rescue dogs and stuff like that, it's just one more thing that I can sort of talk about to, to have people realize, you know, what you know, what they've done is a great thing. So, you know, all four of our Siberians are all rescued. Um, but yeah, they come with issues that you need to be aware of. And if you want to start introducing more and more dogs, then you need to be aware of the behaviours and, and the issues that you know, those those other dogs come with. Mm. And so really apart from that, as Tonra was there and, and you had more dogs coming into the household and being introduced to the, the pack or the, the building pack, obviously he had no real issues. No, no. So his first instinct with any dog to come into the pack is play. <laughs> yeah, let's just play. So uh, he, yeah, he's, he's really benevolent in that way. I can put, with the exception of Zane, I can put him with any dog in the yard, and he, he doesn't have a problem with them at all. The, the, the most he'll do is, is run around. It. It's actually quite humorous because the huskies just strip him apart when he comes to speed. Uh, but yeah, he'll do his best to, to run mm -hmm. and he'll realize that's not going to happen. So then he'll strategically position himself somewhere in the yard that he knows they're going to run past and he'll crash <laughs> up on as they come past. So, <laughs> uh, so what, he, what he misses in speed, he makes up mm -hmm. brains. So. <laughs> uh, nice. And where does he run in the pack? He's always my lead. He's always been my lead mm -hmm. dog. Uh, and that's just purely out of experience. You know, he's, he's now uh, six, he's been running five years now. Uh, so he's got the experience, he knows the commands and those sorts of things. And so I use him to teach the other dogs. So he's ran as one dog. He always run it two, as a two dog team with his uh, sister Tinker when we had her here uh, for two years fostering from my breeder. And then back to one dog last year uh, with Cheezel coming into the pack midwinter. Obviously she was too young to run. So they're now training side by side um, this winter. And now I've got the two twins that are now eight months old. So now they're putting in their team. So he's gone from a one dog to a two dog to a one dog and now a four dog team. So mm -hmm. a four dog Malamute team. But he's, he's my lead dog only because he's got the, the knowledge. Now, will he stay there? Probably not. Um, I'm not even sure whether he'll run in the four dog team yet. Uh, the three new ones are very, very fast. They're very quick. They've got longer legs. They're a leaner build. Um, they are fast dogs and I'm not sure whether Tonner is going to have the build or the speed to keep up with them. So initially I'll use him for training the, training him for commands and stuff like that. So they all get used to, to driving the team and he's certainly got the, the strength to, to pull them along. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens this year. If I can get him fit and get him, and get him down, he's massively overweight at the moment. He's carrying about extra five kilos. Mm. <laughs> um, so if we, if we can get that off him and get him fit, then he'll probably drop back to wheel 
Uh, I think I'll end up putting the girls up in lead and dropping back to wheel just because of his strength in his brute force. But um, who knows? But yeah, for the moment he's lead, we'll, we'll see how the team team plays out this year. Any memorable sort of runs or races that you've had with him? He, um, I still have to laugh about this one. I, I giggle at something trying again. And the two other people that were there at the time uh, both sit there and astounded that it actually occurred. So we're on a run in Wingello uh, State Forest. It was, a, it was a race. I think it was just a fun run or a training run or something like that, maybe a big camp. So I think it was a race. And you, you might know it, but certainly most of your listeners won't. As you're coming down the, the back straight at Wingello, you cross a creek and then you come up a really steep hill back into the campsite. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, uh, Chris Turton was on the left-hand side of the trail and his dogs just stopped and started looking at something in the creek. Leanne has gone to go on by on his right-hand side and her dogs have stopped and crossed the trail to stand next to Chris's <laughs> in the creek. So I've got a scooter and dogs on the left. I've got a scooter and a gang line across the hole. Lost you after gang line across the trail. Okay, so the, the gang lines across the trail. I've got three dogs on the on the left hand side of the trail. I've got scooters on both sides of the trail and a gang line crossing the whole entire thing. And uh, we're coming down the hill doing about 27, 28 kilometers now. And uh, I've just looked and Leanne's just seen me coming down. She goes, there's no way I was going to stop. She knew there's no way I was stopping. I couldn't pull him up in time. Um, so she's literally just grabbed the gang line and just held it up in the air like that. Probably just not much higher than the, the handlebars. And I've just yelled out to Tondra, I'm by! And literally we have ducked under the gang line. And oh, up wow. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, how, was your, how was your heart going then? About a million <laughs> mile an hour. And, uh, and we've got to the top of the hill. It actually, it was it was a it was a, a training camp. It was, it was an intro night actually. Um, and I've got to the top of the hill, and Pete Rose is up there talking to a, to a couple of guys, and I, I've just sort of got to the top, and I've just sort of pulled Tonra up, and right in front of our campsite, dropped the scooter, just walked over to Pete, and I went, "How good is this sport?" <laughs> and uh, and he's gone, "I know it's unreal." He goes, "What just happened?" <laughs> you could tell the look on my face, which is. Yeah, it was just full of adrenaline and uh, sort of told them the story. Yeah. And Leanne and Chris have come up and we're just sitting there, the four of us just pissing ourselves laughing at what just occurred. Uh, because, you know, if we'd missed by an inch, I would have been taken off with the head and, you know, there would have been scooters and rigs and dogs everywhere. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, you know, just one of those runs you had. It was a really good run. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no issues with it at all. And, yeah, you know, he's, he's just run past them all without, without blinking. And, uh, yeah, sort of Leanne's had to quick think and, and throw, the, throw the gang line up and, and get us under oh, excellent. it. Excellent. Yeah, it's probably probably one of the one of those things uh, that'll always stick in my mind on the run. And how's Tondra with the local wildlife? Uh, well, if it moves, he eats it. <laughs> 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 He's an Arctic. Um, they're, they're not they're not known for their uh, flora and fauna um, care factor. Uh, yeah, if it moves, he'll he'll look at he'll look at eating it. Um, He's a Melamute. The others, the Huskies, that's what they are. Uh, whether it's a lizard, a beetle, a bird, yeah, nothing's going to be safe in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And when he's on the rig and running? 
kangaroos are awesome turbo bikes. <laughs> um, I dream of kangaroos running across the trail, running down the trail, because I know he's going to chase. Uh, we were lucky one day. It's uh, another sort of funny story. Michael Little and myself were out. He, he's taken his Malamutes out. I've taken Tonga and Tinker. Uh, I think he had Dash and maybe Zuka. Uh, he's gone first. I've gone second. We were only 10 minutes apart, I suppose. He's gone around a corner in 15 deer went across the front of the truck, <laughs> right in front of the dogs. So it was like, oh, so sitting there grabbing the, the scooters, all brakes locked up, grabbing the, the, the gang lines, trying to pull the dogs back around. And uh, eventually we've got the dogs moving again. And, but they're all sitting there looking at these deer there that have gone up this trail and they're sitting there going, wanting to go to this deer. And I said, that's fine. Just keep looking at those deer because about two meters to my left, running right beside us was a wombat. <laughs> and, and, uh, which would have been just as interesting. Um, so yeah, I was just lucky that they, they cared more about those, those deer that went across the trail and then they didn't, didn't manage to spot the one, but it was literally right beside him running along the trail at the same time. So, <laughs> you know, you know, wildlife and most, you know, most people find that, especially if they're running Arctic dogs, you know, that wildlife are always a, a very good entertainment or at the very least a very good turbo button if they're running in the right direction. As um, things go care wise, say, uh, I'm guessing, as I know Pete was was saying with it with a household full of um, Siberians that it everything's just hair everywhere. <laughs> Same with you guys. <laughs> we um when we lived in Penrith, we had a small small three bedroom house, and uh, the time we had between three and four dogs uh, living in that environment, and it was they had run out of the house, they slept on the bed. Um, yeah, the, the Tonra and Triad um, slept in the bedroom, either side of the bed. So yeah, there, there was fear everywhere, and it, it was just terrific. And oh, by the time we didn't think much of it, but when when we moved and we built the new home, um, we did a few things here a little bit differently. There's a doorway that separates the sleeping areas to the, to the living areas, and that was put there so the kids could sleep while I was watching movies. Mm-hmm. But it serves a second purpose. The dogs are not allowed in the sleeping area. And I said to Karen, I said, after 20 odd years of being woken up in the middle of my, by a melamute hair sticking up my nose, <laughs> um, I've had, I've had enough. So we, um, we took the decision that they, they don't go to the sleeping quarters anymore. They, they're no longer allowed in the bedrooms, but they certainly uh, are allowed in the, in the living areas. And yep. Yeah. If, if you live with especially Arctic breeds long enough, you learn that fur is actually a condiment to a meal. It's n- not something that you, you sort of, you know, get freaked out about. It's like you're going, oh, yeah, a bit of fur, pick that out, throw it away. Uh, it's just one of those things that you sort of become accustomed to. Um, for work, I've got uh, a hair remover in my bottom desk drawer at work. Uh, obviously running out of business and, and you know, having business meetings and stuff like that. I can't actually walk into a meeting in a suit covered in, <laughs> in fur. So uh, you tend to live with it. You know, we've got fur removers in the club box of the vehicles. We've got fur removers in the house. We have fur removers uh, in my office. You know, you just, you know, you learn to adapt to it and, and you learn to live with it. And you know, if, if the backyard doesn't look like it's been a, a fur explosion at some point during the week from brushing a dog, then, you know, someone's been slack that week. Mm. So apart from being proficient in running 
uh, in, a, in a rig and in, in running with a team. Other parts of training, like a, a obedience-wise or anything else that you can say about, about Tundra? All dogs in Tundra. And yeah, I grew up with German Shepherds uh, back when I was a kid. So one of the first things that was drilled into me right from the start was just plain, boring, monotonous, but absolutely religious obedience training. The, the sits, the stays. Um, the, the comes not so much with, with, uh, with arctics. Their, their recall is almost a cute to a cat. They, they don't come when they call, they have answering machines. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, that basic obedience of, you know, not eating their food until they're directed that they can, or, um, you know, just, just those little things, because without that, without that basic control of a dog, uh, walking on leads properly, uh, which is hard to do with, especially with Arctics, if you teach them to pull, um, they're going to want to pull regardless whether they're in harness or, um, or, or whether they're on the lead. So it is hard to balance between the two. Michael Little's probably the best I've got, uh, best I know that can do it. All these melamines are beautiful on lead and they're, they're perfect in harness. <laughs> um, I wish I knew his secret other than time. I think it's basically just the amount of time he spends with them. <laughs> but um, yeah, but no, they all, they all have to be basically obedience trained uh, before they even think about getting line outs or you know, things like that. Because you can't teach them line out unless they know the basic kind of stay or you know, line, line sorts of lines. Okay. So has Tundra got any sort of like interesting habits? He eats rock. He eats rock. Well, that was going to be <laughs> my next question is to complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate rocks. Ever since he was a puppy, he just eats anything. Rocks, <sighs> stick, bits of wood, charcoal. It doesn't matter. And uh, unfortunately, he's passing that habit on to the, to the other melamates because even the twins, the new ones that came in, I call them the potty calves because they spend most of the day walking around the backyard just chewing on grass. Um, but yeah, he just eats rock. And yeah, there were times when he was a puppy, and sorry about your listeners, but um, he would literally just poo a pile of rock. Uh-huh. There'd be nothing else in it. He would just pass a pile of rock. It was like, there's something seriously wrong with you, dog. Um, any vet sort of visits as a result of any of that or? No. No, he, okay. there's no issue. We, we've, we've had him completely vet checked and, and blood worked and all that sort of stuff. You know, is there something yeah, we don't recognize here? Mm-hmm. No, he's a perfectly healthy dog, just likes to chew on rock. Um, yeah, just, just weird. The, um, <laughs> no, after asking that question to a few people, not, there's, there is no, no weird answer to that. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. We, we've done as much research as we possibly can uh, to, to try and come up with a reasoning why. And, there is just no reason why other than the fact that he is what he is. But we talked to the talked to Penny, our breeder, and uh, we said, you know, this is what's happening. She goes, oh, you know, that's just like, I think it was, actually, it might have even been his father. He said, yeah, it's, did the same, or, or Dougie, one of, one of his cousins, did the same, just, she would just eat rock and, you know, that was it. So, yeah, it's um, just one of those really weird, weird things. So any sort of like favourite type of rock or any rock? Uh, just any rock. <laughs> any rock. Clumps of clay. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You, you, you imagine a dog wouldn't eat that? No, he will. He'll eat it. Uh, what about uh, favourite games? 
He loves to rough house with me. He won't do it with <laughs> anyone else in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They just I want to pick on I want to pick on Dad, but our house is elevated from the dog yard, so it's probably about a two meter um, incline um, up to the house, uh, which I'm fencing off and retaining wall at the moment. So he's going to be disappointed shortly. But um, I'll let him out. He'll run to the top of that. He'll spin around and just play bow, and he'll wait till I get up there, and then he'll just launch at me, and that'll be it. The, the wrestle will be on, and you know we'll. <laughs> We'll wrestle in rough hours and then he'll start doing zoomies and he'll, um, our backyard's an acre. So he'll, um, he'll run from one side of it to the other and he'll, he'll swing straight past me so I can take him on his way past. Mm-hmm. And then he'll go up to and spin around and play bow again. And I'll have to lunge at him and then he'll get up and, and go again. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's a game every morning and every night. Uh, you have to sit there and play with dad and then, yeah, after he's done a few zoomies, he'll he'll start to lunge at me then. And, you know, being lunged at by a 44 kilo Alaskan Malamute at full strength um, takes a beating because he'll mouth around my arms at the same time. So he'll be like, I'm going to tackle Dad now. So he'll lunge at me and, and just mouth around my arm and, and try and you know, tell me that I have to get down. Of course, I don't. I'll just flip him onto his back and give him big belly rubs and then he'll get up and run away again. <laughs> nah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's his game every day. And you only do it with me. You won't do it with anyone else in the family. It's, it has to be that. What about uh, water? How's he like? Like the water or? In summer, he's a water baby. So we used to, I used to take him for walks in the morning, especially when we're living in Penrith, uh, where it's a lot hotter than obviously up here in the Tablelands. Mm-hmm. And we had a, those kitty um, pools, you know, those hard plastic shells. Uh, and I always had that three quarter half full of water. So we go for a walk in the mornings. By the time we get back, about twenty five. You know, you walk five k. So he come, he'd come back. He'd be hot. Um, so he would, he would just literally walk out the backyard and just curl up in that and just plonk himself down and just soak in that for, for a, an hour or so. Um, so he, he loves his water. Um, you know, hit him with the hose and those sorts of things. He's certainly not afraid of the water, and especially any if he's tip, running. Any tips on drying him afterwards? No. <laughs> 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 um, in winter we actually all their kennels are full of straw in winter and the same as the dog trailer and that's actually the, it's alright with exactly that the, the moisture on them so uh, obviously being a dual coated they don't get wet underneath so they can literally soak in a pool and it's only the added coat that gets wet and very very rarely will it go into the end coat um, so be fine by putting straw in their beds uh, or in the dog trail, especially in winter where it's they've got often wet, uh, they'll jump in there and the straw absorbs that water often and um, and takes that takes that away and helps keep them a lot warmer uh, than what they normally would. And then we'll we'll change those if we have a really wet week, we'll change that out every couple of days just to, to keep it fresh for them and, and just uh, keep them dry uh, in that way. Um, water is a problem with them uh, with Arctic's in the fact that they can get what we call hot spots. If they get moisture in under the into the skin, uh, or they end up with a small cut or an abrasion on their skins and stuff like that, and start to sweat around that area, it starts to become infected very very quickly. And to, the only way to combat it is to shave that particular spot to get air into it, so it can actually dry it out. So we are very mm-hmm. cognitive of the water getting on them, uh, but uh, other than hitting them with a towel at the end of it to try and dry that outer coat off. Uh, there's uh, not really a lot you can do other than spending about four hours of blow dryer. Industrial leaf blower. <laughs> we, do, we, we do have uh, a, grooming, a grooming dryer 
uh, for them. So we've got our own, obviously with eight of them, we have our own hydro bath and our own dryers because uh, it take you a lot of money at Pet Barn to put eight dogs yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, time. Uh, and time, yes. <laughs> so we have our own gear here. So, you know, if we do bar them, we do dry them completely out. Or if they have a really, really bad week, especially in summer. Summer is where we worry about it because we get the heat and humidity. Uh, if they get a really bad week, we'll, we'll jump on the tra- on the table and, and actually try and put the out. You um, touched on uh, a cut. So has that Tonra ever had any sort of like injuries that sort of like needed more than a, just a, a little bit of attention? God, where do we start? <laughs> um, serious. <laughs> he, um, he was a good puppy. Yeah, he never sort of never sort of got hurt as a puppy, uh, but as an adult, we, we've certainly had our issues. Uh, as I said, we fostered Tinka, our, our breeders, one of our breeders' bitches, uh, for a little while. We actually ran her for two seasons, and we came home one day, and Tonner was limping, and we couldn't work out or worked out very quickly why. He had blood all over both of his front legs, uh, and it worked out that um, the next door neighbour's dogs had come through the paddock and started harassing the two Malamutes at the fence. And of course, both of them got very, very agitated by that. And they couldn't get to the dogs that were agitating them, so they decided they'd get to each other. <laughs> so Tinker chewed on Tonra's front legs. Uh, so he had, a, I think we counted 13 puncture wounds uh, in his front legs. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you now it went bad. We, you know, we, we shaved him, disinfected him, and stuff like that. But it was um, right at the start of the, the main race season. So that pretty well knocked us out the entire season. Uh, all these, all these, um, these wounds, uh, all healed up. Um, the biggest scare, you know, he's had different. He got into a foolishly again, owner, dumb. Um, I left a container of macadamia nuts in the TV room uh, one night after watching a movie. He found the container of macadamia nuts, <laughs> so that was straight to the vet uh, to, to get him to throw those up. Um, and then not long after that, um, in a in our pantry, we've got two big feed bins uh, that have closed lids on them, should have closed lids on them. <laughs> um, I was outside working in the yard, working on the dog trail, doing something or other. Karen was um, inside doing a side track, might have been doing laundry or something. And someone left the pantry door open and uh, one of the bin lids weren't actually on. So Tonra helped himself to we estimate about four kilograms of dry dog food. Oh, <laughs> um, we had no idea. Anyway, he's come back inside. He's gone outside and wandered around. I've gone inside, so he's come inside. And the next thing he's gone and laying down and just started screaming his lungs out. And um, we've rushed him to the vet immediately because we knew something. I felt him like he was, he was rock solid. Um, and the first immediate thing that went through my mind was bloat. So, um, so we've rushed into the vet. They've x-rayed and said, no, it's not bloat, but his stomach is massive. Like, it's huge. This, this, it's full of something. Because we start you know, going through the thing, well, he's a lot of rock and he eats clay all the time. Yeah, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and the, vet, the vet's done a, a rectal check and she's actually pulled rocks out. And uh, she goes, oh, okay, you're not lying. I went, no, we're not. So we started thinking he's actually just eaten that much crap. He's actually just filled himself up. And um, so they went, no worries. He's not in any pain. There's no signs of bloat. There's no gas in his stomach and those sorts of things. Take him home and, uh, and just monitor him. And uh, they gave him a couple of sedatives and stuff like that. No worries. So we got home. Karen's gone to feed the dogs. And she's looked into the bin. She's picked up the, the cup 
that we used to measure out the food. It had saliva in it. <laughs> and at that second, we knew what had happened. So we rang the vet, said, this is what's occurred. We know what it is now. And they've gone, get him here now. Um, and they've I've taken him in. They've whacked him on an IV because the biggest stranger is now is as that dog food starts to break down, he's going to dehydrate. Dehydrate, yep, absolutely. That much. And at the same time, as the food breaks down, his stomach is going to start to fill with gas. And that's where bloat and torsional twist become yep. a big danger. So we've taken him in, dropped him off. They said, we'll leave him here for the night. No worries. Um, I've come home. The vet's run me back. She goes, I've just talked to the senior vet for the practice. Get here now. You need to get him down to, uh, to Homebush. No worries. So we've raced in. Um, so by now it's about nine. So it's nine o'clock at night. Um, we've rushed in to get him. And this is where living out in the tablelands does start to become a problem because now I've got a dog on an IV trip in an emergency situation uh, that I have to down to get to the middle of the city. So, um, so we've rushed him down, got to, to Homebush at the animal hospital there at about 11 o'clock that night and, uh, and admitted him there. And, um, you know, all went well. Um, yeah, he got through that, made for a very couple of sleepless nights. He was in there for two nights. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can still remember now going to pick him up. He um, strutting up the hallway, smiling, tail up, like nothing ever occurred. Mm-hmm. Like, you shove a dog. Mm-hmm. You've just put me through 48 hours of hell. Uh, wondering whether you were going to survive this, and um, and he trots out like nothing ever happened. Did they have to operate at all, or no, no? Luckily, everything went really well. So um, the food digested normally. He passed it normally. Um, the hydration levels stayed right up. They said that the thing that saved him was the fact that we got onto it so quickly mm-hmm. and got him down to the hospital so quickly. Uh, they said if you if you hadn't reacted so fast, yeah, it could be a very very different outcome. Oh, <laughs> heart stopping. <laughs> <laughs> that night was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apart from that one, hopefully not too much else. Oh, the vet, the vet knows as well. Um, but he has been to the vet once um, at a request. So we had a phone call from the vet one day. They had a dog in with a blood disease and it needed a 100% full blood transfusion. And uh, they rang us and said, listen, we need a dog. Uh, to, to help us out. You know, we've, we've run out of blood. Uh, we can't give, you know, we've got no more in the cupboards. There's no more that we can get in. Uh, we need a dog to transfuse blood. And uh, they said, can you help us out? And I went, no worries. Which dog do you want? And uh, they said, the big one. All right, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, uh, I think it was the start of last season, uh, about mm-hmm. March last year. Um, yeah, he went into, in the, in the hospital and actually um, spent the day in there donating blood and, uh, and actually saved the dog's life. Oh, that's so, cool. So he, he's been to the vet, vet, vet once for a good reason. I think that's something a, a lot of people don't, don't think about with, I mean, everyone is encourages humans to go and donate blood, but for pets, especially dogs, not, not a lot of people think, Oh yeah, I'll just take my dog down to the vet so they can take a little bit. Yeah. It's certainly something that never sort of occurred to us. Um, yeah, and I've had dogs in emergency situations, as I just said before, and um, yeah, never even never even occurs to me where does that blood come from. Um, yeah, the, the vets are saying that they've got their own bank there, and if they get low, they normally use their own dogs. But they just had a week 
literally where they were getting smashed with blood transfusions, not only mm-hmm. from that dog, but from other, other instances as well, snake bites and stuff like that being warm months. Mm-hmm. And um, they'd used up all their supplies. They'd used up all their dogs uh, and they needed, they needed help. So yeah, uh, yeah, we didn't even think twice about getting Tundra down there. So. Uh, nice. Nice to help out someone else. Yeah, so if you need more of another six or seven up, pretty hard to go. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you very, very much for sharing some of uh, your life with with Tonra. So it's appreciated. I know that uh, everyone would would is really going to enjoy this episode again. I think. So is there any, anything else that you can sort of like add as a as a parting sort of short story about Tonra? Not about so much about Tonra, about dogs in general. Yeah, go for people, it. Pe- people get freaked out. Um, a lot of people we know get freaked out when they say, we've got eight dogs, eight dogs. Now, how do you have eight dogs? It happens like this. You get one, then you get two, then you get three. <laughs> Pretty much anything after that is just a number. A number. <laughs> uh, it really is. Once you get to three, anything after, if, if you go past three, you, you really down a path that you just think yeah it's not a, a point anymore it's just a number of dogs um but uh, they're beautiful animals and if i could own more i probably wouldn't my wife would kill me for saying that um but you've always got to be you know, cognizant that you know eight dogs eight personalities and, mm-hmm. and eight different needs as well so you know, enjoy them love them love as many as you can um within your means um support things like rescues and, and reputable breeders and for the love of god please don't get a gum tree to buy a dog <laughs> uh, but yeah they're, they're beautiful animals um but yeah once you get to three dogs it's just a number after that so if you ever wonder why people have more than three dogs it's because they've got reached a point where it's just a number that, that they have something in mind and for us it was a mission i wanted a four dog melamute team karen wanted to run huskies and the boys want one each so for us we had a, we had a definite plan five years ago and, and we worked towards that plan and we've reached that plan now so that's where we stopped oh, but excellent and for those people that might not have listened to the episode i did with uh pete i'm gonna give a uh, a quick blurb for the uh running club so siberian express um we're an all breed running club so if you've got any dog, it doesn't matter, medium size upwards. Um, I probably wouldn't come with a dash in, uh, but a medium sized dog that loves to run. You're going to discriminate against a dash in. <laughs> that dash in the name, yeah, you think they think it'd be good, but uh, I think putting them in harness might be a bit harsh. Uh, but any medium sized dog, Kelpies, Coolies, Cattle Dogs, um, you know, we've got all of them in the club. Uh, Aussie Shepherds, uh, Collies. You know, yourself with a Doberman, we've got you know, um, GSPs. If a dog loves to run and it's medium size and upwards, then really search out Siberian, New South Wales Siberian Express on Facebook. Uh, look for us, talk to us. We'll happily chat and answer any questions you can online that you come up with. And when we finally get past all this current world situation, we will be back in the forest and we will be out there running dogs. And please, we do advertise where we are. So come out. See what it's all about. It is the most fun you will ever have with a dog, ever. I'm not going to argue too much on that. It really is. <laughs> and they're doing what they're meant to do. <laughs> That's it. They're doing what they're meant to do. <laughs> Thank you very much again for your time. It's great talking to you. And I'm really looking forward to catching up real soon. Hopefully we'll see each other in the forest yeah. shortly, Rob. Yeah, take care. See you, mate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. 
please jump on to the Relaxed Dog Podcast Facebook group and let me know what you liked about it. Let me know what you don't like about it. I sometimes wonder if about putting too much negative dog news out there and whether I should keep doing that or not. Let me know, please. Also, voting is still open on the I Can't Believe My Dog 8. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.